Another incredible entrepreneur is headed your way. Last week, I stopped by with a solo episode updating you on all things Vincent A. Lancey and what is going on behind the scenes. And this week, we are back to one-on-one interviews, and here are some things we're going to discuss. How one simple conversation with the owner of the Utah Jazz set him on a path to be the top advocate for stewardship. The secrets he's learned of these among us who are the most impactful, happiest, and most content people in the world. Four pillars for a happy culture and how stewardship mindset can strengthen it. All of this and more is coming with today's guest, and I'm excited to bring on a founder in the legal world for the first time in quite a while. This segment is sponsored by Bedrock Business Builders, a small business startup specialist. Start, build, manage. You may have remembered this guest from writing with authors on YouTube. If you missed that show, just scroll down in the show descriptions. You can catch David talking about his latest book. But as far as his business goes, he is an estate planning attorney and CPA with more than 20 years of experience and has worked with over 7,000 clients, including billionaires and business owners, celebrities and sports figures, and of course, entrepreneurs of all shapes and sizes. Early on, David began to see common traits and characteristics of those who both make positive impacts in the world and who successfully transfer wealth, intentionality, and purpose to the next generation, and sadly, those who fail to do so with often tragic results. He is also the co-creator of the Entrusted Planning Process, which provides individuals, couples, and families the clarity they need to put words to their why and align their individual purpose with their personal estate and financial planning. And that's not all. He serves on the board of directors of Healing Nations and Holding Out Help and is the former chairman of the Primary Children's Medical Center Planned Gifts Committee. He has his hands in a lot, a true entrepreneur. David, what does entrepreneurship mean to you? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And um, I've been fortunate enough to work with entrepreneurs um, over the years, and they're just a unique, uh, powerful force. Um, they are a minority of people. Uh, and I certainly don't think everyone's born as an entrepreneur, but entrepreneurs at, at their very base level, they have the ability to see uh, a problem or a need and a belief in themselves that they can solve it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny, I've, I've worked with entrepreneurs over the years and, and I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out this, the secret of entrepreneurism. So I started asking, uh, clients that, so I asked one client and the, the first one I talked to, he said, never have a partner, always be able to do it on your own, make the shot, call the, call the, call the shot, make the decision. Then that afternoon I talked to a client, couldn't have done it without my partner only because of my partners. And then the next day I had a client, you know, they said, I never went into debt. I always stayed ahead so that it was my own money, my own capital first, wasn't beholden to anyone. Then the next uh, afternoon, you know, borrowed every penny I could get, you know? And so (laughs) I started realizing, I I saw expressions of the how, but what really set entrepreneurs apart to me, successful entrepreneurs is their relationship to risk. They can both see and understand and appreciate risk and accept it. Um, Unsuccessful entrepreneurs, they don't see the risk. They only see the upside. Um, And so they don't plan for it. 
they don't have that sense of urgency and insecurity and everything else that comes from risk. But there's a lot of people who see risk and they're they're unwilling to accept it. And so that's the thing beyond anything else that entrepreneurs are unique at is their relationship with risk. We're certainly risking it all as solopreneurs. I can relate with that, but I can't do it all on my own. I do most of the work my own, but I can't create this podcast without a great guest like you. And you put it beautifully where entrepreneurship is different to everybody. Every situation is different, but it does all come with a lot of risk. We don't get that paycheck on Friday. We have to go out there and create that paycheck for Friday. So thanks again for kicking us off. And everyone listening on, welcome back. My name is Vincent A. Lancy, and it is time for That Entrepreneur Show to continue. I'm excited to bring on David. I had a chance to connect with his team. They heard the shows. They wanted to bring him on because of the value he has. He crushed it on writing with authors. I do encourage you to check out that episode, whether you are a writer or not. He offers three books, I believe. Right, David? Three? Mm Mm-hmm. He's got to offer, and you can learn all about those on the YouTube show. But as far as today, we're going to learn all about his business and the great work he does and stick around to the end when we're going to do a special spotlight story on Gail Miller, their incredible relationship, how she changed his life, I found out a bit. But let's start right out here. What led you into becoming the founder of your own company, David? Yeah, so I was an attorney CPA uh, working at a, a law firm. Um, really thought I would always uh, work there. And um, it got into the management there. Um, but, you know, as I started to see the forces of technology coming for our industry, uh, the, the legal profession has been late adopters, very late adopters to technology uh, and to uh, changing business landscape. Um, I started looking at our firm and the changes that I thought needed to be made. And one of the things I noticed is that we were just an aging group. Um, and, uh, it's so critical, especially in a service industry, uh, that you have a good balance of, uh, younger people, uh, those in the middle, those who are older, uh, because there's strengths and there's issues with all of those. And our, that firm had aged significantly. Uh, and really weren't, wasn't willing to take the steps necessary to get younger. And so we, um, uh, another uh, attorney and I uh, made the decision that, you know, we could either watch this slowly uh, close up, uh, which actually did about three or four years after we left, um, or we could go out and start our own thing. And ultimately, we wanted to be in charge of our own fate. And So we started with three attorneys and four staff, no plans to ever grow. Uh, But fortuitously, we got into more space than we needed at the time and we were able to grow. And now uh, we have uh, 19 attorneys and about 30 something staff. And so it was that classic, you know, organic growth, um, but really what it was. And I think some of the best growth is not when you intend to, you do it because you have the right people, uh, you have the right uh, situation or circumstance, um, as opposed to just forcing growth for the sake of it. I was just going to say, when you're not forcing things, things probably are going to tend to go a lot smoother. You mentioned a great thing there, hiring the right people, surrounding yourself with the right people. Is there any tips you can give our audience, maybe new business owners, maybe making that first or second hire, some things to look for in those potential hires? 
Yeah. So I think one of the things that I think is key, and I, I've seen this both in uh, successful individuals as well as successful businesses, but at a fundamental level, uh, it's same whether you're an individual, whether you're an organization or a business, those that are most successful, they know who they are, what they value and what they believe. Uh, they have clarity in their why, and that drives their who and their how. Um, and so at our firm, uh, we actually have four core values that um, we want to be identified as. Um, and our four core values are connection, artistry, generosity, and excellence. Now, those may not be f- words you think of when you think of a law firm, uh, but that's how we want to see. We want to connect with uh, each other uh, as uh, uh, co-laborers and also with our, our um, clients and the community. We want to uh, do everything with artistry and beauty. Um, it needs to be done well. Uh, we want to be generous, um, again, with our time and our talents. And then finally, we want to be marked by excellence. So our conference rooms are named after our four core values. When we do annual reviews uh, or we interview people, we go over those four core values. Every week, we spotlight uh, and we let people nominate people in the firm who are expressive of one or more of those values. We do a monthly, what we call a cage award. Um, And so we really try to drip into everything we do. Uh, those four things that we want to be known for. Because you you can be known for anything. You can't be known for everything. Um, and so to us, it's about that intentionality uh, that we really let drip into everything that we do. Creating a company culture is important for a firm then you would say. Oh, yeah, it's critical. <laughs> and what, what I tell people is, you know, your, your values are your uh, compass. It points you where you want to go. But culture is the current that that your purpose uh, goes uh, floats in, and it can either be a um, tailwind that shoots you forward, or it can be a headwind that you're constantly fighting against. But culture is so critical, and 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 uh, it's not optional. If you have two or more people, you have culture, uh, and you know that. You go into a business, you go into an organization. You sense it from the very beginning. And companies that are the most intentional about culture typically are going to uh, outperform um, at a very high level. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I had to ask that slowly in a question form because I want to give a big shout out to Saxon Taylor. When I was in graduate school, I worked for a startup called WeView, and it was all about company culture, bringing companies together through a central platform. If, say, we had a company together and there was a branch in California and they were having an event, it would all be centralized in this app, new communication breakdowns, uh, communication barriers being broken down when people sign on to the company, introduce themselves so everybody's on the same page. Company culture is key. Thank you for highlighting that and shedding more light on your business. But when you're on your own now, what do you find two of the most difficult parts to be? Well, you know, it, it's one of the things that's difficult because I, I, I do practice is you've got the whole side of working with your clients and taking care of them and um, and then managing and directing the firm as a whole, you know. And so it's that mix between uh, engaging in day-to-day practice, which can be overwhelming and, and more than full-time. And then also, uh, dealing with all of the administrative and vision and direction purposes of, a of a larger firm. And so, um, that's where you just have to rely on great 
uh, administration, uh, great staff. I'm a huge believer in finding the right people and trusting them. So, um, and there's a difference between just delegating and, and denying, you know, versus trust. And um, so um, we have great people. We give high level of trust. We try to be very communicative in them. Um, but um, I think the key is to um, be very aware of what's going on, um, but have, have great people that you can trust. And if you can't trust somebody to make decisions, then you need to make a change, not take over control. That's an incredible lesson right there. Be sure to surround yourself with the right people. Again, don't force anything. That's a great lesson. But speaking of lessons learned, could you share one of your greatest failures or lessons learned to our audience, something that you came across in entrepreneurship to help them maybe on their journey? Yeah, you know, again, I think, um, you know, as I think back, the, the uh, mistakes I've made or other things, again, it usually has to do not so much with uh, structure or strategy. It has to do with uh, purpose and people um, and being involved in something that seems like it makes a lot of sense um, or um, seems like a great opportunity, but maybe not the ideal people um, or maybe not, um, not super clear on what you're trying to accomplish. And so I've seen a lot of clients who, um, you know, they have that clarity of uh, who they are and that drives what they do. And I think the pro times I've gotten into issue is when I didn't, didn't have that clarity uh, of that. So I saw, I saw something that I saw as an opportunity. Oh, I could make a lot of money. My, making money is not a purpose. Um, and you'll get into a lot of very short-term thinking uh, when you do that. But um, the times where I made the right decision uh, because it was the right thing to do and because it was in alignment with my values, even if short-term it didn't look great, those were the better ones. And, and again, when I looked short-term um, or for something simple or just didn't deal with something that needed to be addressed. Um, and that's where I think one thing that's unique um, uh, about stewards, which is stewardship is just so important to me, is that they look both at the present and the future. Uh, and I think it's when you, when you focus on one to the exclusion of the other, that's when you get into trouble. Another great piece of advice there. You are crushing it this episode. Something I was also taught in graduate school, think big, broad, long-term vision. A lot of moves I haven't made because they won't agree with me long-term. I'm being patient, sticking to my plan, letting it carry out. I am now very interested to learn from you on this area here, David. If you could sit down and learn from any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who's your pick? Well, uh, yeah, it's a good question. And it's, um, I, I learn from my clients every day, the ones that, that are entrepreneurs and uh, and not to steal thunder on our conversation later, but um, I, I would say of all the ones that I've met, uh, there's no entrepreneur that I've been more impressed by than Gail Miller um, because she's an amazing balance of, of uh, heart and head. Um, one of the most generous people you'll ever meet, one who knows everything that's going on with her kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids, uh, but also um, uh, understands multiple different businesses, economies. Um, and so uh, she's who I usually think about when I think about how I should approach life or, or make decisions. 
Great preview to our spotlight story. Let's just hive right into it here. Tell us more about your experience with Gail Miller. Yeah, so she uh, and her husband, uh, Larry, who passed away uh, about 12 years ago now, um, a fascinating story. Both grew up um, high school graduates. Neither one uh, finished going to college. They just worked uh, hard workers, had a family. Uh, he started working in a parts department of a automobile dealership um, and had kind of an eidetic memory. Uh, learned the knew every part by number or name. Uh, eventually had a chance to buy uh, his first store uh, and then second and then third. Um, and uh, after purchasing his fourth store, um, got a flyer in the mail about the Utah Jazz, maybe uh, looking for investors because they were going to they were going to leave. They were really struggling. It's the early days. Well, the uh, uh, 80s uh, NBA right pre Magic and Bird and and um, uh, Jordan. So the league was really kind of floundering, especially in Utah. Long story short, they ended up buying it, taking on more debt than their net worth for a team that they had never actually been to a game before they went. But they just saw how important it was to the community uh, and then uh, helped keep it in the community while they built uh, their business. And they just, you know, that, they, they, they engaged in what I call the waterfall uh, there was, you know, there was circulating water feature, right? Where you, you, you get businesses that have cash. So many people take that cash out of the business. They just reinvested everything. They figured how, what little amount could we live on and let's put it all back into the business. And that's what they did and uh, grew it to a multi-billion uh, dollar uh, business. And she took over after his passing uh, and, and grew it substantially from there. But um, just those principles of, uh, they have core values that they run their businesses by, uh, they they primarily invest their own capital um, and um, incredibly generous uh, to their employees and to the communities. I love the the highlight. Great people doing great things. You mentioned the core values. Everyone listening on, I challenge you to follow his lead today and instill some great values in your company, in your organization, whichever you are a part of. It will just only lead to great. I feel relationships like today's guest and Gail Miller. It's an incredible story where they turned the one single Toyota dealership into the eighth largest auto dealer group in America before selling it in 2021 for $3.2 billion. I didn't know all of that with the jazz, how they got the flyer in the mail. So thank you for sharing that. Did you have a chance to read her book that I'm seeing here? Courage to be you inspiring lessons from an unexpected journey. Yeah, and it's a fantastic uh, a story. And what I love about her is it's just filled with humanity uh, and stories uh, of people uh, and the impacts that they made on her in, in life. And, and you know, at the end of the day, when we think about what inspired us or what got us to where we are, um, we think back to people. Um, we think back to either an inspiring a teacher or a parent or a neighbor or sibling or something. There's a few people in there uh, who just believed in us um, or taught us something or showed us something. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, at the, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. Definitely something I think I'm going to have to add to my queue for I this summer, I hope to get more reading done already than I have, but there's still a little bit of summer left. David, where can everybody find you, your website, all you have to offer? Yeah, so uh, you can go to davidryork.com. 
wealthcoach.com. Uh, it's got a link to my uh, TED talk I did on wealth. It's got access to the to the books. We wrote one on kind of the key disciplines of families that successfully transfer wealth. Uh, one book that's called Entrusted. We have a book called uh, Riveted, uh, which is about understanding values, what they are, what they're not, and how to identify your own core values. Uh, and then the the one I just finished is called The Gift of Lift. And it's about this notion of and mindset of stewardship on how I think it's the antidote to commercialism. Well, be sure to check out his website. That's davidryork.com. He has a lot to offer, as he mentioned, from TED Talks to books. You name it, the value is endless. And I am at Vincent A. Lancey. And at That Entrepreneur Show, you can learn more about me on YouTube. Vincent A. Lancey is my channel or also vincentalancey.com. Mental Health Week is my latest book that is available now on Amazon, the go-to book for elementary school students to learn the basics of mental health in a fun way. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next week on That Entrepreneur Show. Thank you, David. Thanks.